Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. Today, you're going to be talking with me. Yes, a solo podcast with yours truly, Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com. We did a podcast with Coach Harvey Hyde. We did one with Dan Weber. We still have a lot of questions, and a lot of people send the questions specifically for me, so we're going to do another solo podcast this week. We appreciate you sending in all of that feedback and questions. Uh, the way you can do that is podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address, or you can leave us a voicemail at 641 641- 715-3900, extension 816-646. Hit the pound sign. Leave us a voicemail right there. Or you can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail right from your computer or any of your devices. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, itunes.com slash Podcast. Lots of different ways to get a hold of us. Please try to keep the voicemail questions brief. If they're under, if they're not, if they're over a minute, we're not going to play them. So keep them under a minute. Keep them tight. Your email questions, same thing as well. That would be awesome. Really appreciate you sending all the, the feedback to the show. And I uh, wanted to jump right in here. So we have a lot of questions to get to. I will do my very best to answer answer each and every one of them. Oh, and but before we jump into that first question, I just want to give a shout out to our buddies at the Solid Verbal Podcast. They do a great job uh, call it, covering college football podcast-wise. They've been around about as long as we have at the Peristyle Podcast. We started back in 2008. I think they were 2008 or 2009. So Ty and Dan, great job. They do a little thing they call the Silent Verbal where what they do is during their show, at the end of the show, they, they give someone that they know or, or someone in the media, uh, they give them their Twitter account. They give out the Twitter account and they say, don't say it's from us, but just make up some story. Like you should tweet this guy or this girl about this. And they, about me, it was about some kind of video that I did with Tyson vacuums. And so I got all these tweets, uh, starting, uh, what was it on Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, no, Thursday morning. Um, all these tweets about what was going on and it was pretty funny. So all these Dyson vacuum tweets, so actually I posted a little video response to them, but you can follow me at inside Troy. You can look at my timeline and kind of see that stuff or go to the solid verbal, um, at solid verbal and see that. But they, they mentioned it on their, I guess it was their Wednesday or yeah, Wednesday show. Um, they do a preview of the coming week. So they, they, they picked me as their victim. So honored to be uh, the the victim of a silent verbal from the solid verbal guys. So you guys can check that out. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, all right, well, let's jump in to our questions on the USC front. Got a bunch to get to, so I'll try to get to them all. First is Frank in Sacramento. What's all the fuss about Cody Kessler throwing to Juju Smith all the time? You should throw to your best guy. In 2013, Kessler split the passes between two future NFLers, Marquise Lee, who got hurt, and Nelson Aguilar. When Marquise left in 2014, Nelson got all the work. In 2015, Juju is the future NFLer, and Kessler goes to him and will the next year or two. Uh, well, Kessler won't go to him next year because Kessler won't be around. But, Frank, I mean, good points. I mean, the, the problem is all those years when Robert Woods was there, Marquis Lee was the number two. And then Nelson Aguilar was the number two to Marquis Lee. And Juju Smith was the number two to Nelson Aguilar. Who is the number two now? We just don't know. It doesn't. It, we haven't seen anyone materialize, and so much of this offense is dependent upon Juju Smith. Um, I, I, I look at the, okay, so the numbers were 
about a third of the receptions on the year go to Juju Smith. So of all the catches, a third of them go to Juju. He has 40% of the receiving yards and half of the touchdowns. So obviously a huge part of the offense, but there isn't some clear number two guy. So I think that would be, I think what a lot of USC fans want to see is establishing that clear number two guy. Um, and that just, he just hasn't there yet. We saw Deontay Burnett against Cal be the leading receiver on the team. Then he gets minus six yards, uh, against Arizona. So they'd like to see that. And with Juju Smith being hurt, you're just not sure. There's just not a lot of confidence. And I think sometimes Kessler can get locked on Juju Smith, but you know, if I was a quarterback, I would throw to Juju all the time too. Um, so we'll see what goes there from there, but you know, good points. And, uh, thanks for writing in Frank. We're going to go to Dan. He says, thanks for the podcast. It makes my commute tolerable. Well, I'm glad we could do that for you, Dan. I would be interested in your reaction to my hunch about the coaching search. I believe that Pat Hayden would never hire Coach Helton because as the OC and probably the closest person to Sark, Helton must have known things were not right for a long time, and Coach Helton did not confide in Hayden, and and Pat would hold that against him. I don't believe Hayden is the type of person that enjoys being surprised in these sort of things so many times. I have not heard this mentioned before, and be interested in your take, Dan. Um, I don't, I would, I would disagree that Clay Helton is like the closest guy to Steve Sarkeesian on the team. I think probably any of the guys from his Washington staff are probably closer. That was kind of like its own group uh, as the, as far as the coaches go. And I don't think that Pat Hayden would blame an assistant coach because of not disclosing things that were going on. I think if you wanted to know what was going on, obviously we don't know everything. We've heard a lot of different stories. Um, I don't believe that ignorance is tolerable in this situation from the athletic director. I don't think you can say, well, uh, one of the assistant coaches should have known and, and told what's going on to Pat. I think people kind of around everybody knew that there was stuff up. And it's just really dependent on what you wanted to believe, what you wanted to investigate, what you wanted to ignore potentially, because it could be, you know, cause problems and hope that it goes away. It obviously did not go away. He was only the head coach for 18 games. And I, I don't, you know, I, I, Love Pat Hayden. I think he's great. Um, we've heard all kinds of weird stuff going on with him and, and what level of support is there and how long he's going to be the athletic director. But I don't think of all the things he said, the one thing I really don't believe is that no one knew that there were some, you know, at least big potential problems here with Steve Sarkeesian. I just don't buy that. All the different stories we heard, they had to be hearing those things too. So now maybe you don't want to believe him. Maybe you just kind of have excuses for him or whatever. But there, there really did seem like there was a problem there. And I don't, I don't buy that anyone around the program, let alone the athletic director, wouldn't know what's going on. Ivan in, uh, Swanee, Georgia, or I think that's how you say it. Swanee, Georgia. I think we finally have a defensive identity that we were missing the first, uh, several years. Very reminiscent to the Carroll days when we just stuffed the run and gave up 300 yards by air. The more they throw, the more interceptions we got. Is it Coach Helton's doing or Wilcox that came up with the idea? Fight on from Ivan. Well, I think it's a combination of things. Um, the aforementioned, you know, uh, coaches that were a part of that Washington crew, I mean, they all came with Sark. So anyone that came to USC because of Steve Sarkeesian, like would USC have hired Justin Wilcox if Sark didn't bring him? No. So any of those guys would not likely be on staff if, and the only guy, the reason they're there is now gone. So I think there's a little even more pressure on some of those guys, specifically on Justin Wilcox to have the defense perform better. I think that Clay Helton has taken a, more of a hand on the defensive side. I think there's more of a 
family atmosphere, trusting thing, trusting guys, let guys know, hey, you can get this done. So I don't think that they're playing as scared. And I like the fact that you can make adjustments and try to take something away. So Arizona ran the football well, take that away. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Colorado because Cephalufau has been up and down. He can have really good throwing games and some really terrible ones. He can run the football too. He ended up getting benched last week uh, in the loss to Stanford. So I, I could I could see something similar happen where Washington, uh, Colorado wants to run the football. USC takes that away. But you see Cephalufau have a, a bigger game throw on the football. I mean, something like that could certainly happen. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's kind of a combination of things. And I also think you know, it's not it's not status quo. It's not business as usual. The guy that was keeping your job safe is gone. You better do a better job. So that's you know that's my opinion on that. Walter wrote in said, "Whatever happened to the USC quarterback transferred to to Arizona? Surprised he never got to play. And what would be the ramifications if USC let Reggie Bush run the players out of the tunnel? Uh, would be great for the players who grew up watching him." Yeah, so I think you're talking about Jesse Scroggins. He actually did play. I don't think he played very much. I'd have to go look it up, and I don't really feel like it right now. So sorry, but you can Google him. Jesse Scroggins is the player. He ended up going to Arizona and did did end up playing a little bit. Um, surprised? Yeah, so he did get to play. You said uh, ramifications of letting Reggie Bush run the players out of the tunnel. The NCAA said he can't have anything to do with the program, so uh, who knows what would end up happening. I think if USC wanted to take a different stance and say and thumb their nose at the NCAA and say, hey, we want these records back. We want this back. Um, obviously, sanctions aren't going to really help as far as scholarships. All that stuff is over. But, you know, that could be one of the things where you're thumbing your nose at the NCAA a little bit and say, hey, we're letting them come back. Reggie Bush can be on campus again. Let him be embraced. And I, some some fans wouldn't embrace Reggie Bush and some would. But he's still a huge part of the team as far as recruiting goes. Um yeah, and it would it would be nice. I mean, there was a lot of players on the team that grew up watching him, and they really love him. So I think it would mean a lot, like if he ran out for the UCLA game. I just don't see anything like that happening at this point. He also, I don't know how much he can run now. I think he hurt his knee uh, in the NFL. But down the road, yeah, maybe we'll see something like that happen. But the USC would have to change their stance completely on how they've addressed the sanctions and all of that. Reggie Bush with the NCAA. All right, let's go to Robert, uh, excuse me, Robin in Virginia. He says, thanks for doing the podcast. I really appreciate all the insight and the answers to a somewhat questionable USC team. I'm enjoying the wins for what they are, but USC always seems to start slow, which they've always have, and they also think the game is over too soon and quit playing, especially on defense. The D gives up a lot of last-minute points. Are these things that can, uh, are these things they can fix and get a quicker start and finish games on both sides of the ball. I don't think we'll be able to keep up with the Oregons or UCLA's of the world if we don't play all 60 minutes, especially if USC can't significantly reduce the sacks and penalties. Thanks again and fight on Robin Virginia. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a lot of good points there. Sacks are a problem. Penalties are a problem. Although I think UCLA and Oregon are the two highest penalized teams in the Pac-12, so more than USC. So that's probably more of a problem on that side than anything else. Um, I thought they did some good things against uh, Cal, like running that four-minute offense at the end. So basically, don't put the defense back on the field. Just control the football. Uh, of course, Arizona did get the ball back and scored late. You don't want to see that happen, and it, it happens quite a bit. And so I, I think it's certainly something that you can try to work on. You thought you might have had it fixed a little bit against Cal. 
it comes back and bites you in the butt against Arizona, makes it a closer game, uh, really than it was. And, um, you know, it wasn't a, it was a slow start against, um, Arizona, but, you know, I think they've had fast starts against other teams too. Usually they, you know, they, they're getting the ball a lot and scoring on the first drive. Now they've been deferring, um, to the second half and, you know, against Arizona really was the one they started off slow. So down 14, nothing, but it did give them a chance to have a comeback and stuff. So certainly, I mean, all valid points, Robin. Thanks for writing in all the way from Virginia. Let's go to Robert, which I think I said the first, first one. It says, Ryan, I'll keep it short and simple. If coach Helton does in fact get hired for the head football coaching job, do you see any scenario where he would keep Wilcox on as defensive coordinator? If not, is there anyone you know of who he is aligned with that he would hire at the next DC? Thanks from Robert. Wow. Uh, no, I think there's a chance for sure that I think anyone on staff would have a chance to stay. Maybe. Okay. I don't want to name any names. There's one guy I don't think would. I'm not going to like call that person out, but I think there's one guy that's definitely going to be gone no matter what. But let's just say for Justin Wilcox, um, you know, certainly there's a chance, but I would think if given this opportunity, Clay Helton was really, you know, kind of surviving. He, he would have had to survive the whole, you know, second half of the season with guys he inherited, with the coaching staff he inherited, none of his own touches. And I think if he's given that shot, he's going to do it his way. So my guess is he would make changes at the bigger spots. You know, um, you know, maybe it's a dynamic recruiter. Like, oh, I want to keep T. Martin. And T. Martin and him were together before Steve Sarkeesian got there. Maybe someone like that you'd want to keep. Or, oh, I like Keith Hayward's been you know, great to deal with. He likes working with him. And lets him stick around you know guys like that you know there i mean there's anyone like i said almost anyone's a potential to stay but i think for a big job like a defensive coordinator unless he was completely enamored with the job justin wilcox is doing and he says that much but i think he says that about everybody on staff he said sark's the greatest kiffin's the greatest like he's just helton's never gonna say anything bad about anyone so um I, i don't think you can you know necessarily believe him if he thinks justin wilcox is the greatest defensive coordinator ever to walk the earth not that he said that but I think for someone like that, he's going to want to put his own stamp on it. I don't know who he's aligned with or, or other guys he's worked with. He, you know, what his philosophy would be as a head coach, because we haven't seen him do that. Um, but, you know, he might want to switch back to a 4-3. I think he's seen uh, a lot of different kind of defenses over the past, you know, six years or whatever it was since he's been at USC. So he would probably, you know, maybe he liked what Clancy Pendergast did. Not saying they would bring him back, but, you know, he's like, hey, I like a defense. Maybe not his, but something like that, something more aggressive. Um, you know, this one is more of a bend but don't break. Does he like that kind of style? I'm not sure. Um, but I, I think he would want to put his own stamp on it. So if I had to bet, you know, greater than 50% chance would Justin Wilcox still be the defensive coordinator next year if Clay Helton hired, I would say no. I would say, you know, that would be my guess. Let's go to Ted in Manhattan Beach, fellow South Bayer. He's my neighbor. Uh, coaching search. Do you think that there is any substance to the rumors about either John Harbaugh or Sean Payton in USC? How would you think this would impact recruiting since the kids seem to enjoy the current staff so much? Okay, two separate questions. Um, yeah, we've definitely heard a bunch of things about John Harbaugh. I've heard less about Sean Payton, but like I've said a zillion times, like the, the NFL thing would have to work out perfectly. You know, like if, if Harbaugh just has had enough and he wants to go to college, you know, USC is the best open college job right now. It's one of the top three, four, whatever jobs. 
Um, but that would be, you know, it'd be a big if as far as he wants to do that. We've heard rumors that that's, you know, potentially the case, but I think it would have to work out really well. I think he'd be a home run type of hire. Sean Payton, I haven't heard as much about. It's been more of a newer kind of thing, but, um, you know, that it's same thing it would have to be a, a perfect scenario for him. I think other NFL coaches would, uh, NFL franchises would want to hire both of those guys if things don't work out at their current position. So it would really have to be about, yeah, you know, you want to go back to college and do that. And it's not necessarily, it's not, it's not easier than the NFL, even though it's a, a level lower. It's a, it's a harder job because of you have to do it 365 days a year. There's recruiting. You're dealing with a lot more players, all these parents. There's, you're not dealing with, you know, businessmen. You're dealing with uh, college kids. And there's just a lot of stuff going on, all the relatives and all that, you know, there's all kinds of crap you have to deal with a college head coach that you do not in the NFL. Now there's, more, you know, you could argue more pressure in the NFL. You could be fired at, you know, you can be fired anywhere, but there's a, you know, it, it's, it's not like you can have a great scheme and beat people with, you know, less talent in the NFL. You can do that in college. You can take a team that's not as talented and if you have a better scheme, you can win. In the NFL, if they're, if the other team has better players, it's going to be a lot harder for you to beat them. Uh, and would it impact recruiting? No, like, uh, it's because the, especially because the current staff, I don't think, you know, if, if the current staff goes away, I don't think that players are going to, you know, recruits are going to decommit and stuff like that. Because, oh, you know, I just, Clay Helton's the best. I wanted to be committed to him. Um, I just don't, it's more about the school more than anything. It's USC. And if you're going to hire a guy like that, the home run, if anything, it's going to be the exact opposite effect. You're going to get more players. You might force decommitments because the, you had some, you know, linebacker who is mediocre and, you know, didn't have as many offers. And now some five-star guy from out of state, like, Hey, I want to come to USC because John Harbaugh's there. So yeah, you could have, it could have actually the opposite effect. Uh, in my opinion, current, uh, number two, he says current offense with the offense moving more to a committed run first scheme has the staff abandoned the hurry up offense trying to get 80, 90 plays per game. Thanks. Uh, we actually talked about Clay Helton about this a little bit. And, uh, no, I mean, I think, They'll still run tempo. They'll still do no huddle stuff. It's just, you know, now they're going to run the football more. Um, it's, it's just, it's a little bit different philosophy, but it's just, they still aren't, you know, aren't going to be lined up in the huddle all that much. You'll see a little more under center, but yeah, I, I think it depends how the game goes. They could get 80, 90 plays a game. They could, you know, could run fast enough to do that, but a lot of the plays are going to be runs, um, you know, as opposed to kind of a throw first mentality. So let's see. We got Matt. He says, for the past couple of years, I have considered USC to be a poor tackling team. This year, that, seem, that seems to have changed, and especially when I see number 21, Sua Cravens, anywhere near the ball. Do you agree that USC is a better tackling team? If so, is it because of coaching, leadership from players like Cravens, or some other factor? Beat the buffs from Matt. Actually, I kind of think they're about the same, to be honest, Matt. Um, there's a lot of tackling issues. There, uh, You see... You know, going into the backfield, when USC does bring pressure sometimes, they're unable to bring the quarterback down too often. Um, you, you know, able to get away. We saw Jared Goff, like, making guys look terrible against, you know, for, from Cal in the Cal game. And he's not exactly some speed burner, you know, but there, I think there's definitely some tackling issues on the team still. The last two weeks, they haven't had full padded practices. Some guys are banged up. Uh, I think, you know, that's something they're working on. But I wouldn't say, you know, there's individual efforts, though. Like, Isua Cravens, yeah, he's he's amazing when you come to tackling. But 
It's not like he was terrible last year and he's good this year. He's always good. But you're seeing like those individual guys doing stuff. Um, I think they've made improvements on defense. I'm not sure if tackling is like one of the areas I'm like, wow, this team tackles so much better than it does last year. It still seems like it's a, kind of a problem to me. Let's go to Roger in Newport Beach. Says, you made comments during uh, spring and summer practice uh, knocking the lack of uh, apparent blocking drills by receivers, even praising the Oregon, Oregon Ducks on their blocking first attitude. I've been impressed by the downfield blocking by the receivers on runs and passes, springing most of our explosive plays. Is it time we give players and coaches credit where credit is due? I'm excited to see how we fare against Oregon on that aspect of the game. Go Trojans and fight on Roger in Newport Beach. Yeah, no, yeah, it's funny. I, in the spring, I think I asked T. Martin about that. And he said they do a lot of it. You know, he said that that's something they work on. We just really hadn't seen a whole lot of it um, in practice. But, you know, I think we're seeing a little bit more of it now. And I think you're seeing, you know, really good execution on the field. Guys are, are getting into blocking more. I'm not sure last year we, we talked about it a whole lot. It wasn't that kind of attitude. But I think, you know, Juju Smith being the leader of the receivers, I think it certainly helps. That's his attitude. I mean, he's the guy. He's out trying to out-tough everybody, playing a few days after surgery. And, you know, blocking's about toughness, and, and he has a lot of toughness. He's the leader of these receivers now. I think that's been a big factor. Those guys are kind of following him, and they're trying to be tough too and, and try to lead and, and, and lead by blocking. So I think it's a big deal. It's definitely better. All right, next up we have Jarrett wrote in a question. Given that the Trojans are always among the tops in the country year in and year out, why or what is keeping these players from reaching premium potential? Or how true are these scouting reports on the four- and five-star athletes? The Trojans have not produced the star first-round uh, NFL prospects like they have in the past, with the exception of Leonard Williams, but even he was a three-star recruit. Primarily, what I am what I am asking is, are the positional coaches the ones to blame for holding back these five-star kids and turning them into so-so NFL prospects? The talent level at USC is consistently higher than the rest of the Pac-12, but a large amount seem to underachieve. Granted, plenty of exceptions. Uh, maybe my standards are too high. Thanks and sorry for the length, Jarrett. Yeah, so I mean, I think there's a couple different things here. It's, you know, being a, a first-round NFL guy doesn't mean you're not reaching your potential in college. So college and NFL are different games. You've seen, you know, Clay Matthews was a no-star walk-on, and he's an NFL star. So guys develop differently. You want to be able to develop, you know, in college. Sometimes they, guys come to college and they've already peaked. That's really their – when they dominate in high school, that's the best they're ever going to be. And other guys are, like, not even dominating in high school, but they're getting better and getting better. They start dominating in college. And some guys don't even start dominating until they get to the NFL. So uh, Matt Castle never started a game for USC, and he made a Pro Bowl in the NFL. So – and he's still, you know, still playing now. So I think that's, you know, it, it's – I would look at it more of if you have four and five star guys that can't contribute in college, what's going on? Were they overrated? Did you not develop them? Um, and I think you see a lot. I mean, but the, to be honest, a lot of these four and five star guys, they're the guys making the plays on the field right now. Like we talked about Sua Cravens. I mean, he comes in all heralded recruit. He comes in as soon as he starts playing, he's kicking butt. Uh, Juju Smith, same thing. Five star guy. Uh, Dory Jackson, the thing, same thing. Five star guy doing everything. I mean, imagine signing day from a couple years ago if Juju Smith and Adoree Jackson picked some different school. I mean, that's that's recruiting right there. Those are guys were signing day, you know, decisions. Both picked USC. Both was a big deal. 
and both have been doing stuff the minute they got on campus. So I think you're seeing a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, some guys, you know, look at a Greg Townsend Jr., who is a you know four-star guy coming out of high school, hasn't really done a whole lot until this year. He's playing pretty well. It took him four years in college to to develop. But, yeah, I, I think that you don't need to be a five-star guy to come in and contribute in college. And we've seen, you know, different cases of that. You really, it's to me, it's up to the assistant coaches to develop these guys. Some guys might come in and they dominate in high school for whatever reason, because they're bigger, stronger, faster, and they're not when they're in college. So they got to be coached up, and some of them don't get coached up. So I think, you know, it's there's a lot of it going around. I think when USC or Texas or Ohio State, when they recruit someone, sometimes they get ranked a little bit higher because they're getting offered by the big dog in the conference. So I think you get a little bit of that too. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think it's, a lot of it's on the assistant coaches to to have that player development. But I wouldn't equate, you know, being a first round NFL draft pick to, you know, that means that, that you didn't do enough with that five star guy. A lot of it's up to the player, and you definitely want to develop him along. But that talent's coming from the player, not necessarily from what you're learning in college. Uh, Justin in the OC. Okay, I've been thinking about how to continue the Pete Carroll coaching tree successfully. Because this coaching tree can be explored further. Since, you know, this is a way more important than getting the best athletic director and coach for the players. Besides, Alabama kept pursuing the Bear Bryant coaching tree for about three decades, and look where that program is now. Unless I'm misunderstanding a fundamental lesson of that program's turnaround, and I'm sure I'm not. So here goes. We forget the offensive side of the coaching tree is worthless. Um, because defense wins championships. So we go out and get Nick Holt as the next head coach, but he's going to need an offensive coordinator. Boom, Norm Chow is available. Done. Now that's a winning program. Hashtag Pat Hayden logic. Love the show. Justin in the OC. So obviously he's making fun of uh, USC and trying to re, you know, rekindle the magic of Pete Carroll. And uh, if you've heard me talk about this before, yeah, stay away from the Pete, Co- the Pete Carroll coaching tree right now. Urban Meyer has a, a pretty good coaching tree when you look at some of the guys like a Kyra, uh, Kyle Whittingham and, you know, Tom Herman's now down in Houston. He's got a lot of guys that come out of that. Pete Carroll, not so much. And I thought, to me, the biggest problem with Pete Carroll was towards the end, the guys like the, the guys that would tell him no, the guys that were strong coaches that would stand up to him were no longer there. You know, Ed Ordron or Norm, you know, when Norm Chow had to go. Um, all those guys, it, it, and he really kind of replaced everyone with people that he almost created as coaches. Everyone that was like a graduate assistant under him. And I think you need to go out and get, you know, it's great you want to develop some coaches, but you can't have all of them as these young coaches that, you know, part of your development. And some of them worked out well. I think Ken Norton Jr., you know, Pete Carroll gave him his first shot at coaching. He's now a defensive coordinator um, in the NFL. So I think that's a good sign. But there's just been so many, you know, like, you know, Lake Kiffin's doing good as, as a coordinator right now with Alabama, but, you know, failed as a head coach in three different places. Um, I don't think that head coaching tree is all that great right now. Then maybe down the road, some of these other guys, you know, that get elevated and, and have success, we'll see. But as of right now, it's not been all that impressive. And uh, Justin's kind of making fun of that, that USC is going to try to go back there again. I don't think, Justin, that USC will go back to that coaching tree. But who knows? We just we just don't know right now. Um, there's so much uncertainty going on at all levels at USC. And uh, we'll, it should be some interesting stuff going on and happening pretty soon. But we'll find out and keep you up to date on uscfootball.com. Chandler and H-Town. 
question is for the listeners slash fans slash callers of the Peristyle Podcast. So this is for all of you out there, everyone. Why on earth are people calling in asking about Norm Chow and the rest of the failed coaches in America? Just because a coach has won a few games at a mid-major school, that doesn't mean they're ready for arguably the top college football job in America. Additionally, just because someone had success once upon a time at USC doesn't mean it will be recreated. That was a very unique and special time with the right chemistry, maybe once in a lifetime. Enough already. The madness has got to stop. This is no longer the early 2000s. Give it up. It's over. SC needs a fresh start and someone that is a known and proven winner. The list of derelicts, Chow, Wisenhunt, Weiss, Mac Brown, blah, blah, blah. It's absurd. We are SC. We deserve a coach. That can lead us back to the prom, to back to prominence. The list of names being thrown out there by fans of this show and the website is utterly ridiculous. Do you think if Saban left Alabama, they'd be talking names like Wisenhunt or Coastal Carolina, etc.? Never in a million years. Give it up. Thanks for all you do, Ryan. Fight on Chandler and Agetown. That's all I got to say. I agree with Chandler 100%. I get some people saying, oh, USC isn't a top job anymore, blah, blah, blah. That's complete crap. Anyone you talk to across the country knows and will tell you, hey, if they don't college football, USC is one of the top jobs. Um, it just is. So there's a lot going. This team is really young and very talented, making it even more appealing. It's not like it's a rebuilding thing. You can come in and win right away. So maybe they go and uh, and get a younger guy like a, a Justin Fuente or a Tom Herman. I mean, I, I don't think I would be – disappointed because those guys both seem like even though they're up in covers and haven't proven themselves as much they both seem like you know everyone thinks they're going to be awesome at the next level now it, it would be a little bit of a leap i think for someone like them to jump to usc but you know you might be getting ahead of the curve i could see why they would do it but only after in my opinion only after you try for some of the home run guys that we've talked about um you know and maybe even a guy like kevin sumlin doesn't look like much of a home run anymore. And I get it. Like, you know, he would have been a, you feel like he would have been a great hire. He's not doing so well right now with a young, talented team. Do you want to bring him to another young, talented team? I don't know. So even someone like that could have dropped off the list that you thought would have been a A-lister before. It probably isn't now. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I think there's a lot of options. There's a lot of horrible options that have been tweeted in and sent in and posted and wrote in and all that kind of stuff. So I, I love that. And thanks for, uh, thanks for the email there. Johnny and Rancho Cucamonga, questions for Ryan. My question has to do with the head coaching search. Do you think David Shaw of Stanford would be a good candidate for the USC job? Uh, thanks also. Shout out to Section 11, the Thundering Herd. Fight on from Johnny. Hey, Johnny. Yeah, I actually helped start off the Thundering Herd back in the day. Those guys emailed me, and we uh, worked with them and um, setting up a little section, and Pete Carroll loved it. It's kind of, I guess, dissipated a little bit over the years. I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll get that kind of going uh, even better again. It's expanded all the way to Section 13. Made the, you know, ex ex uh, the section around the tunnel used to be a very non-intimidating place. A lot of visiting fans would be there and kind of heckle the home team. So they, they at least they have USC people around the tunnel now. I think that's helped a lot. And uh, Thundering Herd would always do a great job standing all game and all of that. So great stuff there. Glad you're in the herd. Um, as far as coaching search and David Shaw, I kind of think he would do a good job. I just don't know. USC seems a little hesitant to hire uh, Pac-12 guys, and I think Shaw, if he was going, you know, it's a, he's a really good fit at Stanford. If he was going to leave, I think it would be for the NFL. Like I, I'm just not sure he would want to come down and, and coach at USC. Um, so yeah, I, I think if he 
if somehow USC hired him, I think he would do a good job. He's done a great job at Stanford. He would have, you know, more talent to work with at USC. But I just don't see, I just don't see that one happening. Not that it can't, but I don't see it. Dan wrote in, uh, he said in the solo podcast, you mentioned Greg Townsend not only being looked at, I'm uh, sorry, not really being looked at by scouts. Other than Sua and Cody, what other players have you seen scouts looking at uh, that could declare after the season? Also, since people are suggesting Norm and the Coastal Carolina guy, what about Mike Ditka or the ghost of, of Bear Bryant? Just kidding. Don't want to give you guys a stroke. Thanks and fight on. Uh, I'm sorry. Fight on and thanks for the podcast, the Parasol podcast, and the podcast of champions, Dan. Yeah, so we talk about the podcast of champions is, of course, the, the podcast I do with David Woods. And we You can go to Pac12podcast.com. We talk about the whole Pac-12, not just USC or UCLA. Okay, Dan, so your question, let's just go through, we'll look at the uh, the depth chart and kind of see who's uh, who looks like they're someone that, you know, the scouts will be kind of going after. I think none of the receivers besides, you know, Juju Smith's only a sophomore. We haven't really seen any other receivers be someone that jumping out and, you know, scouts would come to practice to watch. Uh, nothing to tight ends. Um, on the offensive line, I mean, I think you know, a lot of different candidates there. I mean, Zach Banner being as big as he is, I think he kind of stands out. Um, we'll see. I mean, Max Turek certainly, but he's not there anymore, so he's not really being uh, watched uh, quite as much. Um, you know, Cody Kessler, of course, like he, you know, he put up good numbers. Um, you know, I we haven't seen a whole lot from Trey Madden and, and Justin Davis. Uh, you know, Ronald Jones is only a, a freshman, but that'll be someone people look at later on. You talked about Sua Cravens for sure. I think Devon Simmons, uh, you know, is having a pretty good senior year. Like he's big and strong and maybe someone like him gets some attention. And, you know, Antoine Woods, you know, the defensive lineman, you know, being a bunch of seniors, Greg Townsend. Um, you know, we talked about that, like our scouts, like kind of talking about them as like high bat picks. No, I don't think any of those guys are being talked about, but you know, there's potential for all of them to get, you know, drafted at some point. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, haven't heard much or really anything about Scott Felix. Um, or Anthony Sorrow, just not much there. Uh, of course, Adora Jackson's only a sophomore. Um, you know, haven't mu- heard much of guys in the secondary either. Uh, you know, Plattenberg and McQuay have been kind of bouncing back and forth. Both of those guys have really been benched this year. Um, you know, Chris Hawkins, I thought, has been doing a good job. Haven't heard a lot of buzz, you know, really, uh, about him, but I think he's a redshirt sophomore. Um, so it would take a little bit for him anyway. And, you know, no one on special teams, kicker wise. So, yeah, so, I mean, there, there's not a lot of names that are, like, popping out as, like, these are guys that are, you know, ready to jump out. I mean, I don't think there's any chance to a Cravens sticks around. Um, but, you know, we'll see. They, they got some big, strong guys on the defensive line, a bunch of seniors. So we'll see kind of what happens with them. But it'll depend if they get an invite to the combine and then kind of what they can do from there. Um, all right, well, thanks for that one, Dan. I think we got a few more. Yeah, all right. Steve in Virginia, on your recent solo podcast, you talked about USC needing to get, quote, the biggest diamond from the diamond store rather than searching for, quote, a diamond in the rough for the next head coach. Based on this premise, what would you think about USC going after Mark Rick from Georgia? Uh, so first, so he kind of goes on about Rick. Um, it's It's pretty long. I'm not going to read all this stuff. Uh, this is the most sure thing candidate I can come up with who might actually have a chance of leaving his current position. 
as you might see the writing on the wall with fed up boosters and an upgrade from a top 10 coaching job in America to a top five one. I'd like to get your thoughts. Uh, Steve in Virginia. So yeah, so no, I think people have talked about him a lot. The problem is, uh, the people that I've talked to that are close to him or the, the media members that I've talked to, and he, I think he came out actually with a statement today that that's basically it for them. Athens, Georgia is where him and his wife want to be. If he's not going to be the coach of Georgia, he's going to do his foundations and he's not coaching again. Um, he just seems like a guy. Yeah, I, I get it all the football wise stuff because they're kind of tired with what's going on him. Similar to kind of what Bob Stoops, like he's been there a long time, had success. Stoops has had more success because he won a national championship. But I think with Rick is a special kind of guy that he doesn't want to leave there. He's got plenty of other things going on and he doesn't need to go jump to a top five job from a top 10. He likes coaching there, but it's not necessarily the end of the world if he's not coaching anymore. It's my understanding of what's going on. So Steve, I think, I think it would be a good name other than the fact that it doesn't look like he would want to go anywhere, no matter who offers him a job after uh, he leaves and is not the head coach of Georgia anymore. Thanks for that one, Steve. We have Kev from Valley Glen. He says, so I really feel for Steve Sarkeesian. Coping with a substance abuse problem must be an awful experience. At the same time, I do believe people need to be held accountable for their actions, and I do hold Sark somewhat responsible for the current situation our football team finds themselves in, dealing with the second interim head coach in two years. And the fact that he left Pat Hayden no choice but to fire him halfway through the season by showing up to practice intoxicated. I don't know if that was really the case, but you know we know what you're talking about. So my question is, do we know if there was any, quote, for cause or, quote, code of conduct clauses USC can prove Sarkeesian violated so we don't have to pay out the rest of his contract? I hate to admit it, but does it does bother me on some level that we might have to continue to pay the guy three-plus more years considering... Yeah, he couldn't keep up his part of the deal, especially considering how much USC spent to buy out all of the contracts on all the coaches he wanted brought with him for Washington. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work, as always. Fight on. Uh, Kev from Valley Glen. I always find it interesting when people, like fans of a team, um, where there's no like salary cap, like care how much you pay somebody. Like you, the Yankees, do you care if you pay that, you know, lefty reliever five million a year or seven million a year it's like it's not your money that guy's gonna spend what he wants um it's so uh, yeah not i'm not bashing on you Kev, but it's just I always find it curious like you're trying to save money like you're helping usc budget by uh figuring out what's going on so um my understanding what i mean i've, I've heard it was for cause you know i've heard that there's going to be some sort if there hasn't already been some sort of settlement i don't think usc is going to be paying steve sarkeesian for the next three years. So I don't think you have to worry about that. We don't, none of those details have been released, just kind of stuff we've been hearing, but I don't think that's something that, um, you know, you should really be concerned with as far as that goes. Yeah. I think, you know, that'll be taken care of. I think that, you know, Steve Sarkeesian wants to get back to coaching at some point, I would think. And he needs to go through all, all these trials and tribulations. Now there'll be some sort of, you know, him coming out and talking about stuff that happened, trying to make things right, you know, explain. I think we'll hear, we'll learn more later down the road. Um, if he wants to kind of work again in the industry, he's going to have to address a lot of the stuff that went on. And, uh, yeah, you, you know, you know, substance abuse is a horrible, horrible thing. Um, you know, you, you feel for him as a human being, you want to make sure he's better. You make sure he's healthy, forget coaching, forget all other stuff. You just want him to be a better human being. 
be able to be healthy and safe and keep his family safe and all that kind of stuff. So uh, hopefully he does get better in the road to recovery. And if he feels like, you know, coaching again, I'm sure someone's going to give him that opportunity. But thanks for Kev. Thanks for Kev from Valley Glen for that. And the last one, we got David. He says, I was curious if platooning players is becoming a risk to our play calling. If we platoon our athletes for uh, specified roles, then don't we run the lack uh, risk of predictability? For instance, Dan mentioned the benefit of having Trey Mann as a short yardage guy and a pass protector. Can't the other team then act accordingly when Madden jumps in? Same thing with Adore on the bubble screen, Ronald Jones running north-south, Justin Davis running east-west, etc. Thoughts on the predictability of platooning versus the benefit of specialized roles? Thanks and fight on from David. Yeah, no, I think USC's been a team that showed a lot of tendencies uh, over the years. And I think it was the Cal game where Ronald Jones was only in for 13 plays and he ran 11 of them. So basically, if he came into the game, it was a run to Ronald Jones. And I don't think you can do that. So having Ronald Jones not being the best pass protector, I think it, that's part of the limitation factor because you don't want to be too predictable. But he did catch a ball out of the backfield uh, against Arizona for a touchdown. So at least you know you could throw it to him. Um, you know, Trey Madden jumping in, if he's if he's like a pass protector and a short yardage guy, I don't think that's a real problem. You could be running him. You know, he could be running or he could be pass protecting. I think there's, you know, different options there. So I think you just have to stay away from some of the tendencies. And um, I think you saw a lot of that with guys that were really infatuated with the play. And I think Lane Kiffin was probably the most infatuated with the play as versus the players over anyone. I think Sarkeesian got into that a little bit too. Clay Helton doesn't see him in as much, but there's been some really kind of strange play calls with him too, where stuff is all over the place, where it seems like the best option is to to run here and the passing and, um, so maybe that's an, an attempt to try to, to break tendencies. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see it as much now, but it certainly can be a concern. I think that the good part is that Clay Helton really is more about the players right now. And it's not necessarily about the, the ultimate play call to try to trick someone or anything like that. And, and sometimes you do that. You're actually tipping off the teams to what you're going to do because they can kind of figure out what the play is going to be. And they know it from the tendencies you showed before. So um, we'll see going forward. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think Colorado. You have to worry about that as much, but certainly against Oregon or UCLA, especially UCLA last year, it looked like they knew what was coming. If you had any tendencies or your tipping plays off or anything like that, um, you know UCLA figured out what was going on last year. I'm sure they could do it again this year. So really got to mix things up there, uh, especially against those two opponents. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up here. Uh, the Peristyle podcast. It's a solo one today. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. So thanks for all the questions. I just wanted to try to make sure we have a chance to you know answer them all. You can always go to uscfootball.com and post questions on the message board. Uh, we do our best to answer those 24 hours a day. There's questions and stuff coming in, so we try to talk about all those things there. But um, on the podcast, we like to get to them all as well. And I hope you guys enjoyed that. It's a Friday game, of course, 6 p.m. USC taking on Colorado. So we'll try to do Maybe we'll do another podcast over the weekend since it's a, the game finished a little earlier. It won't be a Saturday game. It'll be a Friday game. So maybe we'll come back and do another podcast then. So, well, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Thanks again. And a big shout out to Solid Verbal for, uh, for punking me with your Silent Verbal. I thought that was a lot of fun. Check out, you know, at Inside Troy and you go to at Solid Verbal to kind of see what we were talking about there. But thanks so much for tuning in to the Parastyle podcast and we will talk to you next time. 
You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.